Welcome to another Shore Leave episode. Can you feel it? Uh, it's good. Uh, we're taking a we're gonna take a break from talking about Sea of Thieves this week as I've wanted to dive into some of the stuff that's been going on in the games industry. So if this is your first time listening to the Shore Leave episode, this is a podcast within a podcast for now where I want to cover some of the stuff that really I just think intrigues me so this episode I wanted to talk about two things well one of them is kind of a big thing so it's a lot of things within that one thing but the one thing that I did want to get to other than that was the outer worlds um, and I'm going to be talking about BlizzCon so those are the two things that I kind of wanted to cover this episode. My impressions of The Outer Worlds as well as BlizzCon, what I thought of it, what you can expect from Blizzard if you're a fan of their games like I am, and just if you had any interest in The Outer Worlds, because that is something that, while technically is on other systems, uh, and coming to Switch later on, is available on Game Pass right now. So let's get into it. Uh, the Outer Worlds is a game made by Obsidian. Um, full disclosure, I have a friend in that company. So I wasn't really expecting a whole lot when I got into The Outer Worlds. Uh, it's a it's an interesting kind of third or first person game where you're going to be going around to these different worlds. You kind of uh, you're frozen and hibernation as you're sent out towards the outer rim of planets that are being colonized by companies. And come to find out something goes wrong and you get unfrozen uh, quite a bit later so in this game the idea is is that you're going to be traveling around to help try and unfreeze the rest of the passengers on that voyage ship hope along the way you're going to run into some interesting characters and have to make some really tough decisions on how you're going to help or hinder some of the different communities out there because with all of these planets most of them being owned and operated by governments or not governments by companies uh, you have to start wondering where that moral high ground is for yourself and decide are you going to support defectors of the corporation or the corporation itself? And not everything is black and white. Now, you may be thinking already like, oh, well, I don't want to support the man. I want to support the people. And uh, you wouldn't be wrong in some cases. But this game gives you very good uh, reasoning why you wouldn't want to support either. Uh, and it does kind of come down to making that big decision within the first couple hours of the actual game. That helps kind of give you an idea of how this game's going to play out. It's uh, a shooter. It's very much in the essence of a Fallout game, uh, from what I've been told, bearing in mind that I've only ever played Fallout 76. So you'll you'll go around you'll do some gathering of supplies and you'll you'll level up your uh, skills and a lot of it does have some heavy D&D &D influence so you're going to have intelligence you're going to have strength you're going to have charisma you're going to have uh, stamina things like that leadership skills uh, being able to sneak around and lockpick stuff and hack into terminals if you don't have those checks then some quests will won't show up for you until you try playing a different way one of the things I think I've enjoyed the most out of this game is 
taking my character and planning on playing them the way that I think would be interesting, which I, I picked uh, uh, the character and selected my, my persona, and my persona is that of Jack Sparrow. So everything I do in the game is pretty self-serving, and I try to spend a lot of time making choices that I think Jack would make, uh, while still trying to keep some fun in the questline series of it. Like, I don't want to miss out on too much so i try to make sure that while i am playing i am trying to kind of understand a little bit of the story and what's going on with each planet even though it isn't necessarily the most self-serving thing that being said i have been stealing a lot and murdering a lot of people because i thought that's what jack would do and it's definitely brought a lot of joy into the short amount of time that I've been able to play it. Um, I'm on the second planet after visiting the first, uh, the first actual spaceship and then the, the Hope itself afterwards. It's an amazing game. Uh, everything about it feels really good. The decisions that you make um, feel like they, they actually do curve the, the experience and if so with most kind of choose your adventure games there's a lot of emphasis on learning or taking different dialogues and that may increase or decrease your reputation with those factions but they don't always ever feel that impactful because at the end of the day you're still going to get to the same ending with this game you can kill just about anyone you want in the game. I think there is only one character that you can't. And after talking with my buddy about it, they even tried to do the game so that you could kill him. But uh, it unfortunately didn't work out. So there's one person that you just cannot kill. Going into the actual combat of it, I've actually really enjoyed the combat. I've been leaning more towards uh, a rifle and a shotgun approach um, with some big heavy energy weapons that are that are kind of fun to run around with. You'll come across your normal uh, kind of beasts out in the world as well as some marauding uh, humanoids that are, are kind of out there just to steal for their own. And there's different factions, but the factions themselves haven't felt too relevant. I think the thing that I've enjoyed the most about this game are the the dialogue trees and the the, the sense of kind of a dark humor that is uh, brought into this game because they, they all kind of recognize that they're part of a system. So there's, so there's always like the spacer's choice motto that kind of floats around the game. You know, it's, it's not the best choice. It's the spacer's choice. Um, so just suggesting that, you know, you're getting that lower quality product, but you, you know what the product is. So it's, it kind of reminds me of uh, idiocracy. If you've ever seen the movie Idiocracy, you'll know that corporations have kind of taken over and, you know, the people of Idiocracy don't even know what water is outside of it just being used for toilets. So with this game, some of the, the biggest things that I think you'll you'll enjoy is the combat as well as the dialogue trees. Uh, I've had a lot of fun talking with the different NPCs and kind of seeing where things go and how, how you play it. I've learned that certain skills allow me to bypass some of my more thieving tendencies uh, so having a lot of persuasion intimidation and lying uh, i've been able to get out of a lot of circumstances with um, nothing but a bit of reputation uh, loss at that and i haven't really had too many problems now i have uh, another buddy of mine who's actually playing this game on supernova uh, some of the complaints that he actually had about the game was the ai for companions uh, on supernova 
Nova when you're, you're playing through that. If your companions die, they die completely. They don't just get back up after a fight uh, on like normal mode where if they fall down, after the fight's done they'll just get back up and start helping you again but with supernova he's kind of run into the situation where they they die pretty early on because they just aren't beefy enough or tanky enough or able to to evade things well enough so he's actually been running through the game as a kind of a, a solo bruiser you know he's got high armor and he's going with melee weapons and he's having a good time with that and he's he's seeing how far he can push killing everyone to see uh how that works out because you can effectively kill the quest givers as well but apparently still make it towards the end of the game now i'm probably about four or five hours into the game right now and i've i've had a really awesome time playing this the actual environments themselves are really beautiful uh, from what i've heard from other news pundits about the game is that the game was developed with uh, the the idea that the the people that have made the game uh, understand color and have developed the game so that color isn't important um so if you you happen to be colorblind that there's that accessibility built right into the game it's not even just an option you have to worry about i i love that they're taking this approach uh and in, in accept and in, in understanding that not everyone playing the game is going to want to have to deal with that kind of a situation uh if you've ever played a mass effect game or uh star wars knights of the old republic or a fallout 4 or fallout new vegas you're going to feel right at home with this the game has has had a lot of qa testing to it it's highly polished it's really fun uh i'm looking forward to them doing dlc or a new game in the in the, the actual uh, franchise or ip ip because microsoft themselves actually owns the ip to this so if you've been wondering how this plays it's amazing it feels a lot like firefly when you're playing it your ship has an ai to it uh there's a very very distinct uh firefly serenity um feel to the actual ship and going around in this kind of western space odyssey is really fun it's it's a blast and i've enjoyed it immensely uh, with me being gone for BlizzCon, it was really tough to put that down, especially considering that I'm still wanting to get into Sea of Thieves as well as play uh, World of Warcraft and Heroes of Storm, those kind of games and stuff as well too. So hopefully you have given this a shot. I know a lot of folks that have played it have said good things about it. And overall, generally, most of the gaming populace seems to truly enjoy this game and it's been a real a real blast to actually jump in and see just kind of what just what kind of funny humor you can uh get out of these these npcs um that i will say though that the uh the npc the facial animation was something that kind of left me being uh left me desire desiring a little bit more after seeing some other games um and and how they actually handle facial animation it's it's tough there's there's always going to be an uncanny valley and i think i think there are a few games out there right now that are just starting to get just past that uncanny valley um i think the the cinematics for call of duty modern warfare and world of warcraft are the two that i i think of where i'm i'm left kind of wondering man we're we're getting real close we're getting real close to that point where it's hard to tell if it's an actual human or not uh just based on on how good the scans are getting and how good the animation is for mocap and stuff so um i would definitely recommend it 
I would say that if you haven't played this game and you have Xbox Game Pass, to hop in and give it a good half hour because I think you'll be surprised at how well it plays. Uh, it feels really good. So with that, uh, I'm hopefully going to get a chance to get into that as well as Luigi's Mansion because Luigi's Mansion has been something that's been on my plate since Halloween. I have yet to actually get to jump into this. Um, every time I sit down to to play something, I'm usually on my computer because I'm wanting to kind of multitask. So I, I've been going back uh, after BlizzCon and playing uh, a lot of the panels that I missed out on when I was at BlizzCon because I was busy having fun doing other stuff and just kind of getting some information on some of the stuff that I missed, some details uh, regarding some of the announcements that they made this this last weekend. So, and with that, I think we should jump into actual BlizzCon. Diablo 4. That's right, the fourth incarnation of the Diablo franchise is and has been coming for some while. But finally, we got an announcement this BlizzCon, and it was beautiful. What you're hearing in the background is actually part of the announcement cinematic called By Three They Come. Now, fair warning for those pirates who are listening to this, uh, this is a mature rated game. So if you're under the age of 18 or respectively in countries where you have the Peggy system and other systems in place to prevent children from having access to Diablo 4, I would highly recommend obeying those because this game is going to be nothing if not dark gory gruesome horror violence and i can't wait i have been playing diablo games since they first came out way back in the mid 90s now this is something that i was looking forward to last year this is something that didn't come last year but we had a feeling it was coming and if they had to do it this year because they wanted to make sure that people that were wanting Diablo 4 last year got something, a news announcement for it, they we, we basically got a nine minute video that is so amazing that if you were just listening to me talk about the uncanny valley uh, between when you can recognize something being as fake compared to being real, this nine minute trailer looks like the opening to a movie that I want because it is just that beautiful. But how does Diablo 4 actually look as a game? Well, I went and I watched the panels afterwards and uh, aside from the one that I sat in on, and this game plays beautifully. And if you're a big fan of Diablo 2, then you're going to have a lot of fun with this game because they harken back to a lot of the talents, systems, and play styles of Diablo 2 while still bringing forward some of the 2019 quality of life gameplay mechanics that we see in other ARPGs. Uh, you can actually mount up in this game, though the demo didn't provide that. But there's a lot to this game that suggests that they're getting back to the roots of what made Diablo amazing. Being in this world that is constantly ravaged by monsters from hell, as well as dealing with the high highfalutin angels uh, from above. And this story takes place years after Diablo 3, after Malthel, uh, after we defeated Malthel, the, the angel of death. 
And we have seen in this trailer the reincarnation of Lilith, who is daughter to Mephisto and mother to the human race, the Nephilim. So this story has serious roots into the lore of Diablo, going all the way back to Diablo 1 and Diablo 2, and not forgetting the stuff that we did in Diablo 3. When you sit down to actually play Diablo 4, you're greeted with a familiarity that is really just, it's its a lot of fun that they, they went ahead and brought back the original campsite uh, where you get to choose between the different heroes that you want to play as. Uh, in the demo, they had barbarians, they had sorcerers, and druids again hearkening back to that diablo 2 feel the things that i really enjoyed were probably the druid uh and the barbarian um that tends to be the case with some games uh not all games but the druid was probably the the best fleshed out character uh next to the warrior the warrior was probably probably the best um just because of how simple it is to understand what that hero does uh there's been some talk going around about how the barbarian can actually wield four weapons the way that works is that they actually are weapon masters so you get two one-handed one-handed weapons and you get two two-handed weapons now you're out, you're not wielding them all the time but different spells use different weapons so your normal bash attack would use the the one-handed weapon meanwhile your bigger slams uh will use a two-handed weapon it's really fun to play it's it's really fluid so far and the druid has the same where the druid will actually have a pair of wolves following them around as you kind of traverse the world and you have different maelstrom effects and lightning effects as well as earth effects to kind of throw boulders at your enemies or charge at them in a werebear form and then slash at them uh, in a werewolf form and being able to shapeshift and transition between those fluidly as you kind of go along through this world. All of your favorite creatures from the Diablo franchise are back, including Duriel, who was in Diablo 2. If any of you played out in the sands uh, of, of Gadget, uh, I almost said Gadget Zen. Um, uh, Luke Golem, Luke Gol Golane. Oh man, I'm blanking. The, the names in Diablo are some of the hardest to remember for me, but that's because I've always enjoyed the gameplay more than the actual story, even though the story is really good. Uh, you will, you if you ever gone out to the to the Maggot Caverns and you fought Duriel, you'll you'll know he's he's a fun fun boss to have to deal with, especially if you're a skeleton necromancer like myself and your skeletons are too weak to to kill anything on their own and you're stuck in a bunch of caverns with a bunch of maggots blocking your way from being able to do anything and you have to go respect to iron or blood golem to just, just to get through there that's uh, uh, sorry sidetrack getting back to the gameplay of diablo 4 the environment itself is beautiful it looks amazing it's way better way less cartoony than diablo 3 is uh and none of the spells have any of the trappings of indicating that you're playing an actual game it feels natural when you see like a blizzard effect and all you see is the actual blizzard you don't see any kind of ui reticles anywhere on their projections to kind of uh point out like this is the area of effect that you're actually casting the spell in it just happens same thing with all the other spells for the different heroes the physics is amazing the gameplay is fluid the world is very different because this world feels like breath of the wild to me 
you have a large map that is very much shrouded until you go out to different towns and quest there. Uh, the quests are varied and similar to World of Warcraft where you can pick up quests by talking to different denizens of the actual city. And as you're actually going out into that world, you are being able to you're, you're able to plot your path so that way you can kind of tell like what direction you have to go you have a persistent uh circular map in the top right corner similar to world of warcraft where you know that there's a waypoint and you're following a path or red dead redemption 2 where you know where you're going to be going and the path is kind of laid out for you on this little mini map so you just follow that down the way you have the waypoint system, uh, you still have your ability to teleport back to town, and you have your mount to be able to tra traverse these areas better. There's still a lot of emergent fighting out in the fields uh, once you leave certain areas or, or the towns themselves. So just because you've picked up quests doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be doing just the quests. You're going to be finding stuff along the way in an emergent way. Um, and there's a lot of different uh, things that they're they're adding to say like your your bosses and your spells and stuff so they've they've added an affect system to allow you to be able to um, change up how certain spells work similar to the way that you you kind of augment your talents or your skills in Diablo 3 um, the sorceress was the one that I think was probably the weakest right now uh, it was the one that I that I didn't find that much fun with just because I felt mana starved most of the time and a lot of the the play style was reliant on using your basic ability where if you play like a druid or a, a, a warrior those tend to feel a lot more impactful than a little bit of lightning coming out of your fingertips um, before I dive into well I don't know if I want to go too too deep into that overall the game looks really good it looks really early uh, I'm gonna say that it, it, they had a very polished demo I don't think I I would be surprised if this game came out in 2020 I would definitely not be surprised if this game came out in 2021 uh, everything that they showed looked like it was just put in for the sake of having a demo on the floor for people to be able to play and then give feedback on the there was a world boss i did want to talk about this um because there's two different things that are coming with diablo 4 that i think are really interesting the world bosses feel like monster hunter battles where there's a stagger effect that can can be done to them to cause damage which would change the way uh so like they had a, a giant beast that had these large claws uh attached at the wrists and if you staggered the boss with enough people there and you were able to do enough damage to it the stagger would actually break off one of those big claws removing the effective the effective range of one of its sweeping attacks would make it a lot easier for melee and ranged to kind of stay in a certain area the the camera actually pulls back when you're doing this and everyone still gets their own bit of loot when stuff when bosses and stuff drop too so you're not fighting for that there there's talks of pvp coming into the game which has been uh, missing for diablo 3 uh, it's been just a largely a big pve game and they're definitely bringing back the pvp they said that they want to balance it for both not just one or the other so if you use something in pve you can use it in pvp uh 
I'm sure people will figure out the best stuff for that when when the game actually comes out as they always do. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was keyed dungeons. Um, if you're playing Diablo 3 or better yet, if you're playing World of Warcraft or um, I can't think of any other games that actually do this, but essentially what happens is you find keys out in the world and these keys can be broken down for materials for building or you can use these to actually augment or increase the difficulty of dungeons randomized dungeons um, when you're actually playing out in the world and you go into a dungeon you're essentially playing uh, like an instanced area and these keys make it harder by adding elements or changing uh, affixes to bosses or, or enemies so that it's a little bit harder so say um, a fallen shaman if you're familiar will resurrect uh, a fallen one or, or an imp or something if, if it's given the multi-shot affects then instead of just raising one it'll actually raise three making it a lot harder to combat especially with um, difficulty being raised up in general the one thing that i thought was really interesting about diablo 4 in general was the removal of load times now there's a certain game that came out earlier this year that i was looking forward to and to be perfectly honest i can't even remember the name of it because i've blanked it out of my mind so much but it came out right when apex legends was coming out in battlefield uh, uh fire firestorm i can't remember um it's the one that everyone was hoping was going to be the the uh other destiny game you probably know what i'm talking about so i'm going to leave it at that but anyway the game that that, that game i had so many problems with because it was constantly forcing me into load screens whether i was leaving the open field and finishing uh getting my my treasure from there i would leave the field and then it would load screen into a summary screen of what i got from when i was out in the open field area the open world area and then it would give me another load screen to get me back into town and then anytime I did anything in town, if I wanted to leave, I would have to go into another load screen to get into my javelin uh, so that I could go into another load screen to get back into the area. That, and and it, it was it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. And the reason I'm talking about it is because in Diablo three, in Diablo two, in Diablo one, anytime you ever wanted to move from one dungeon level to another there was always a loading screen and this is something that they've actually taken out of so the immersive gameplay not being able to see um, spell projected ui elements on the ground when you when you're putting spells down or you're doing stuff removing the loading screens from dungeons and giving you open world events to be able to mount up onto a horse and ride around and find these big bosses and, and compete with other people to do it was was a welcome change to a, a, a constant issue that i think a lot of games have to suffer with is trying to find the way the memory and and the the um the the capacity to load content stream content in and render it as opposed to having to do loading screens something that i know that um a lot of people are looking forward to with the future consoles coming out with uh, the Xbox Scarlet and the PS5. A lot of people are hoping that with the SSD system that the load times are going to be a lot less because at this point, the graphics are pretty good. We're pretty happy with graphics as they are. Frame rates, pretty good. The things we're moving into are like ray tracing, HDR, and um, uh, uh, shorter load times. And 
overall, Diablo 4 was probably the the biggest highlight out of BlizzCon for me, which is why I'm talking about it first, because out of everything that they announced, um, Diablo 4 probably is the one that hits home the best uh, for, for, for my play experience. So, and a lot of people are probably thinking or wondering, what about Diablo Immortal, the, the phone game that they announced last year, the thing that really kind of bummed everyone out because it wasn't the Diablo 4 announcement that we were hoping for. Well, the Diablo Immortal took a year off uh they came back to blizzcon this year and they had a demo that was on ipads this time as opposed to samsung galaxy phones and they've spent a lot of time working on it they've really changed up the way it looks it doesn't look like a clone for another game that was developed by another company in another country this feels like it was diablo 3 that they took kind of cut out some of the, the 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 ui elements and made them a little bit easier for for you to play on a on a mobile device and then brought that to mobile devices it was open world i i played as a demon hunter and as um gosh what was the other one that i played as i can't remember i want to say it was a uh no gosh I actually don't remember. I can't remember what I played through as the second time. But um, needless to say, I I had a really good time playing through that. If I didn't already own Diablo 3 on my Switch and I could just pause it whenever, I would probably be playing Diablo Immortal on my phone. Uh, The only reason I don't play too many mobile games is because I I cherish the phone battery that I have and I hate being charged to stuff and I don't have any wireless charging pads sitting around. So Diablo 4 or or Diablo 3 or no, sorry, Diablo Immortal. uh, If you like Diablo 3, this feels exactly like it. You get health globes, you get mobs, you get your, your base classes and you get to build up armor. The interface is a lot easier to interact with now. They've got one button, which is kind of a catch all for interacting, talking. Uh, equipping comparing armor it's a lot more fluid than you would expect out of another other games and compared to things like um like uh, uh elder scrolls blades or infinity blade or um some some other games in that kind of genre i would say that diablo immortal probably feels the most polished though they haven't given a release date for that and i kind of I don't want to say that that's because they aren't confident in what this game looks or plays like. I think a lot of that deals with trying to make sure they're getting the the right um, what's it called the the right things in place to be able to publish it to uh, Androids uh, and iPhone apps. Um, there's a lot of work that goes into submitting a game for for online or for mobiles and making sure that it works on a wide range of devices as a, in in an industry where mobile is constantly iterating on its devices and trying to make sure that things are supported for long periods of time so they got to make sure that the game runs well on multiple devices and making sure that um that those games are being supported on networks for for whoever you're playing with uh kind of the reason why they are doing a slow beta rollout for project x cloud where it's only Android devices and it's only on certain networks in certain countries. So I imagine when Diablo Immortal is available, uh, they'll probably start pushing it out slowly to to the the, the actual population for the for the game. Um, played really well. I love it. I I still think I'll probably play it on my 
switch just because that's where a lot of my progress is and my characters are uh, but it's definitely not something that i would pass up on if i didn't already have it mobile diablo 4 just a side note not coming to the switch um, i wouldn't expect it to the way this game looks the way this game plays i don't think that the switch would be a good port uh, but i'm not i'm not ruling that out as something that would be that would actually work um diablo 3 is a, a, a much older game and diablo 4 definitely does not uh look like it's less of a game uh uh just because it's it's an isometric game or isometric view <laughs> Next up, I did want to talk about probably one of the games that I've been playing the longest, and that is World of Warcraft. So what did they announce? Well, they announced the next expansion, which is World of Warcraft Shadowlands, which takes us to an entire new realm, the realm of death. When you die, this is where you go. And when you get back, you come through the spirit healers. Uh, the place of entry is going to be ice crown and we got an amazing cinematic that came where sylvanas who has pretty much been kind of on her own campaign outside of battle for azeroth has moved her way to ice crown citadel to confront bolvar the current lich king and take his crown before just decimating it, opening the gateway to Shadowlands, this mirrored world that's uh, on the opposite side of the Emerald Dream, uh, where it's the place for death, where all souls go to. And after Sylvanas has defeated Bolvar, Bolvar is left sitting there um, helping us to try and get to the Shadowlands. One of the main problems now is that before the pat or before the expansion goes live, there's going to be pre-patch events uh, because we have no Jailer of the Damned, uh, we have no Lich King. The Scourge that are in Northrend are going to start running rampant because there's no one to keep them in check, uh, at least not since Bolvar was was defeated. So, as you get into the Shadowlands, um, there are going to be options to be able to bolster the Death Knight uh, he, um, class. So if you've wanted to be some of the new allied races as a Death Knight, but because the Lich King had no longer been raising Death Knights, there is now an option for you to become a Death Knight. However, whatever race that you want to be, Kul Tiran, uh, um, Dark Iron Dwarves, Volpera, whatever you want, it's, it's kind of nice with the Shadowlands. This was really awesome because they're they're totally taking some of the great things about um, past expansions and bringing them forward. So if you played through the Burning Crusade and you remember being at Shatrath and you had the option to choose between the Aldor and the Scryer and in each one, it's not that any of them were completely against each other, but they had their own motivations and reasons for it. And you picked one and you leveled that, that reputation and you got specific rewards and stuff from those different reputations. This is that 
to the nth degree because not only are they giving you different reputations that will be kind of your allegiance as you go into the shadowlands to help try and find out why sylvanas is in league with this this character called the jailer that is residing in the maw which is the place where all souls are now being sent to to bolster its power um, sylvanas has been gaining power in league with uh the the jailer who has been making her more powerful because of all the the death and all the souls that she's been sending to the shadowlands and the maw has been gathering those up and increasing its power which is then drawing power away from the rest of the shadowlands so it's up to you who is who are now able to escape the maw because you were so closely tied into the heart of azeroth thanks to battle for azeroth that you are able to go in to the the new main city uh Aborios, which is going to be kind of the main hub that you're you're at uh it's not going to be the the dalaran it's not going to be the stormwind or the orgrimmar uh it's going to be the the next actual main city for you and that that main city will then get you into the next four zones and each of the four zones is extremely different from each other uh, the first one that you're going to venture into is called bastion uh, and this is going to be home to the kyrian who are the race that were actually the ones that predated the vikeral which if you've ever played uh, Wrath of the Lich King, you know that the Vykril were these, um, uh, these, these kind of spirit warriors that were able to resurrect people after dying and bring their soul back from the Shadowlands. Uh, they're the most ordered and uh, filled with purpose race in the Shadowlands. And the souls that have... Think of all the big souls that or all the big uh, characters from World of Warcraft that you remember that have died in World of Warcraft, Kael'thuzad, um, Kael'thas, Arthas, Uther, uh, all those different characters are all stuck in Shadowlands. Um, big name people that, that are no longer in the canon are present in the Shadowlands in one form or another. So with Bastion being the order and uh, uh, light-filled area, it it's, makes sense that the soul that we will kind of come in contact with when we venture into Bastion is going to be Uther, the Lightbringer, who we lost back in Legion. Uh, it looks really beautiful. It's really bright. There's lots of floating architecture that's very kind of uh, Greek uh, Roman era style. It looks nice. It played really well on the demo. Uh, I had a good time there. And I, I love some of the details that they put into that world. That was the one thing that they did have to show at BlizzCon, just Bastion itself. It was interesting to see um, how they were doing things as far as like uh, building the quest hubs and coming in contact. But the reason that they're taking us to the Shadowlands is to kind of break away from the normal creatures and uh, expectations that you would get with world of warcrafts like with azeroth uh the only time we've ever gotten to break away from that is when we've traveled to draenor uh either through the burning crusade or warlords of draenor when we did the little time shift thing uh or argus where we've gone to a completely different planet the home world of the draenei to actually battle uh the baddies there and kill off the the burning crusade once and for all the areas in the shadowlands 
are very much the core essence of certain things that we've experienced already, but they are kind of the the primordial uh, uh, ooze that is, that was used to kind of shape some of the different zones that we've we've seen in the game in the past. So after that, uh, I believe you'll end up going to uh, Maldraxxus which is home to the the necrolords um and, and each zone has its own covenant which kind of gets back to the aldor scryers thing that i was talking about so each zone you you'll come in contact with these kind of uh, uh lords or 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 uh, reputation based areas where you'll talk with them they'll tell you their campaign you'll work through their campaign and that zone and then you'll move on to the next one in a very linear fashion uh for the first time and then when you're an alt you can actually go back and choose which one you want start working on end game progression right away but getting into Nal maldraxxus it's very much like uh nax Naxxramas, it's it's very kind of um, scourge influenced. So the Necro Lords or the Covenant there, it's the heart of the Shadowlands military might. So any of the the greatest warriors that you can imagine have died are going to be the ones that would would be there. They're also the the ones that have supplied the army, the undead army that were being used by Kelthzad and the Lich King up in Northrend. So if you've ever seen anything from Northrend or you're a wrath baby and you're used to that undeath the maldraxxus area is going to be the the core essence of where that all started um think of think of the undead being born out of this and they are in, in essence the unyielding strength and fortitude of the shadowlands they are the the hammer that is being wielded by the fist um and the the soul that you're likely to see there is actually draka uh who is thrall's mother and with that they're trying to emphasize that maldraxxus is not essentially an evil place it's just a place of strength uh and the the undead it, because you're in shadowlands everything is is based around the idea of death uh maldraxxus is just the the army for that the the next area that they talked about was ardenweald which is home to the night fae which if you think about um the the emerald dream being the positive summer spring zone to uh to to the the afterlife where everything is bright it's vibrant there's lots of life and growth being had there aiden wield uh is the opposite it is the these the fall it is the winter um and with that you're going to be coming into a very kind of enchanted fairy-like forest everything's going to be tainted with um uh like anima so it's it's going to be very kind of uh magical and in, in, in nature in its nature design uh it's the place for rest and rebirth so souls that go there are are being prepared to be reborn and the example of the soul that they gave is Cenarius, who is the, the demigod that was corrupted in the Emerald Dream back in Legion and then killed uh, as a result. Um, they also have some different areas there, which are very much like uh, Drustvar. If you've played Battle for Azeroth, you know that kind of really spooky uh, witch, kind of Blair Witch um, design uh, where everything's kind of twigs and um, um, kind of put together 
together and it's it's spooky and scary i love it it's it's definitely that was definitely one of my favorite zones going into battle for azeroth and i like that arden uh aiden wield has got some of that built into it but the place the place that i think that everyone is going to be drawn to is revendreth uh which is home to the covenant of the venthyr and all that made no sense to anyone that hasn't played it or watched anything from the the shadowlands trailer but imagine if you will a world that is constantly uh covered in clouds and it's dark it's dreary it's very gothic lots of pointy spires think castlevania think uh the the actual cancel castlevania the actual tv show on netflix that is essentially what revendreth is um there's lots of of winding roads there's gargoyles there's vampires uh all of that stuff it's it's absolutely the most gothic thing you could ever see in there and the place for that is kind of a, a, a state of hubris all of the souls that are there are sent there because they are they're either too proud or they're not humble enough and the reason that they're sent there is so that they can get brought back down to a very humble state and then built up with the venthyr uh to be able to become ready to get back into the into the natural world so one of the souls that they said was going to be something that you one of the souls you'd encounter there is kelthazah or uh, kelthos who if you've played through burning crusade and subsequently uh the 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 patches towards the end of that expansion you'll know that Kelthazad is one of those that was probably the the most prideful, uh, pro, the most narcissistic characters that we've had, and, and unfortunately for him, he's always gotten kind of a bad rap because uh, he's he's only ever wanted to impress uh, Jaina and be with Jaina, but she went with Arthas, and then as a result, he hated Arthas, so then he wanted to fight Arthas. Whole crazy story there that I I've always loved, um, and I've always felt bad for. Kel as a result one of the nice things that they showed with uh, revendreth is is that some of the areas the light has actually broken through the cloud cover and as a result it's actually scorched the earth uh, or, or the ground there um the soil as as a result kind of similar to what you would expect if you were to see a vampire caught in sunlight how it would start to burn up and stuff um as you've been listening to me talk about this you've probably been wondering what i why i've been talking Talking about these reputations these covenants and these covenants are going to be something that you want to uh, dedicate yourself to one of them one of the four so when you play through the campaign uh, for each zone it'll be a linear fashion and then at the end when you hit max level then you can kind of decide uh, which of the different covenants you want to align yourself with and when you do that you'll actually start to gain spells specific to your class as well as specific to that covenant and on top of that they'll give you themed armor as well as uh, mounts for that and in specific things you can do there it's going to be something that I think a lot of people are going to be drawn to. If you played through Legion, then you had the the class order halls that gave you kind of something to to feel good about because you were you were helping your class's order hall uh, with specific quests and things like that. And this is kind of like that where you're you're going to be choosing something to represent yourself and you can actually wear the armor and the mount that that shows off that you're helping that 
faction that 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 covenant that reputation the one thing that came out of this that was kind of interesting is a new uh, system that they're putting in place if you've if you play through battle for azeroth you've done island ex, ex, expeditions which are kind of roguelike experiences that are rather short they're taking that and they're they're bumping it up so they've got a new um dungeon in the maw which is where the jailer is based who is uh, called torgast and torgast is similar to slay the spire where you're going to be getting um, a group together or you can be going as yourself uh, if you've ever played through uh, legion and you were working through suramar you had the the withered training it's similar to that where you're you're increasing the power of the withered training but in this case it's it's focused on you you're going to be augmenting your spells and powers as you work your way through this uh torgast power uh, tower and it's a roguelike you go as far as you can the more you do it the more you, you get buffed up uh the the more times you go through there the the more you'll get buffed up and the more f or the further you'll progress as you play through these these zone or through through this dungeon it's it's designed to mostly give you really good powerful rewards because at the end of it you'll you'll be able to get a powerful anima reward and that anima is how you'll feed your covenant to help make sure that the power that's being taken from the souls that are being drawn into the maw are then sent back to the different zones and the different covenants uh, for the rest of the the Shadowlands. Because right now, the Jailer, who has been gathering souls um, uh, from from people dying in the real world or in our world and traveling to the Shadowlands, the maw has been catching those and keeping them captive which is why sylvanas went in and burned uh teldrassil and killed all of those innocents she's essentially been feeding the the maw and the jailer to get power so that she can do whatever she's trying to do which i don't really understand what she's trying to do none of us really do but they've said that this expansion is is designed around trying to find out why she's doing what she's doing and why she's in league with the jailer uh in the maw um i love the idea that they're bringing a roguelike like slay the spire to dungeons and that it's going to be something that is going to be present for all max level players to kind of work their way through as opposed to just con consistently doing mythic plus dungeons uh or, or raids the big thing that came from this that didn't revolve around the actual expansion was their commitment to reintroduction or um, revamping the player experience for leveling uh, there's a whole new leveling system in place now with a whole new starter zone for levels 1 through 10 with max level being 60 so when you hit level 10 you can then make a choice you can talk to chromie so you you have two choices you can talk to chromie or you can play the game how you normally would want to play it currently if you choose to pick Chromie, she will then give you an option to choose which campaign uh, narrative, um, excuse me, which expansion you want to play with. So 
Say you're a really big fan of the Burning Crusade and you miss going out to Area 52 and playing through the different uh, uh, biome or biospheres that they had out there and, you know, checking out that area with all the broken things. Or you liked going out to uh, some of the different zones like Zangruf, Zangruf uh, Mark. Oh, man, I, I'm just blanked on it. But you get what I'm saying. You, you go out to those zones or you're a wrath baby and you you got into the game back during Wrath of the Lich King, which was at most would say the high point uh, next to like Mists of Pandaria. And you want to play through Northrend. But by the time you get done playing through the first zone and a half of Northrend, you've already out leveled the content and you need to move on to the next two expansion zones. With the new leveling system, they're squishing the levels down so that it's 1 through 60, uh, and that 10 through 50, you'll be playing through the entire expansion that you choose. So if you just want to play Warlords of Draenor and you want to get that story, you can do that. If you want to play through something that you missed, like Mists of Pandaria for myself, uh, this is going to be a good experience for you. If you're starting out and you uh, want to play through World of Warcraft the normal way, you can choose to do so at level one, or you can choose to start at the level uh, the level one through 10 starting zone, which even has like its own little uh, mini dungeon. And the, the whole idea of that is to give players an, an opportunity to experience the essence of what World of Warcraft is in a very uh, condensed fashion. Once you hit level 50, then you can actually travel to Northrend and get to the Shadowlands, uh, where you can actually level from 50 to 60 through these uh, four zones that I actually expressed. I I think that this is really awesome. They've talked about how the, the leveling experience should be anywhere between 60 to 70% faster. And because they are literally having the, the amount of, uh, of, of levels required, each level is going to feel more impactful. You're going to have something that unlocks each level, whether it's a talent or a spell or some other thing. Each level is going to feel important when you actually do it. And it should still feel fairly fast to level compared to going from level one to level 120 now. Uh, this is way more than just like what people would assume is a stat squish. This is actually a whole revamping of the, the leveling experience. And I'm really happy to see that the work that they put in with being able to join up people in the middle of quests or to do quests that you've already done with others to join up will open up the experience for people who are playing uh, to join up with friends who haven't been playing that want to get back into to try this new content out. I really love this. I love the the idea that they're that they're letting you choose an expansion when you level, and that they've really kind of worked on making sure that the the Shadowlands experience is a is a well told narrative that is linear and going to be the same for everyone, and then giving you the choice to choose which covenant you want to work on beyond that. Uh, you still all have you still have the same trappings as far as um, world quests, dungeons, mythic pluses, rates, things like that. But they're really trying to give you more agency with what you want to do in the game when you're actually playing. Alrighty, the last thing that I wanted to talk about with BlizzCon is, of course, Overwatch 
2. Now, this is the first sequel that we've seen to this franchise, their latest franchise. Uh, we've wanted to see kind of what they were talking about. There's been articles and rumors about this going on for quite a while. And they finally came out and announced that they are working on Overwatch 2. And from what I can tell, this is actually going to be a very good sequel to the game for many, many reasons. Uh, the whole new, uh, the whole game is basically going to be a redefinition of what they consider a sequel. They made some cheeky references to Destiny about how players from Destiny 1 were enjoying it but couldn't bring any of the stuff that they did in destiny 1 into destiny 2 and if you were playing say like uh destiny forsaken back when the the crucible i think came out i think that's what it was called you couldn't play with your friends uh and they, they didn't like that they don't like how the expansions are gating content for players uh so you couldn't play with them so any of the heroes any of the pvp maps that are made for overwatch 2 come to overwatch one that means no one gets left behind nothing that you no, no one that is unable to pick up overwatch 2 at the start will run into any problems that uh that the overwatch that that come with other games where you won't be able to play with your friends now what is in overwatch 2 well i've already kind of mentioned a couple of these things new heroes uh sojourn was the first one that was shown off we also know that echo is going to be coming but with that they're also bringing in new pvp maps and for the first time a new core game for quick match and competitive called push so how to explain push well push is a symmetrical map that has two pathways on it. Uh, anyone that's played, oh, um, what's it called? Uh, Heroes of the Storm. I don't know why I blanked on that for a second. And you've, if you've ever played uh, the Overwatch map on that, you'll know that there is a payload that has to get pushed from one end of the map to the other. And the way it's designed is that it's not symmetrical, but you have to be present to move it forward. So with the way push works is there is a robot in the middle of the map and two barricades for each team each team that is escorting the robot the robot will push the barricade further and further till it hits a checkpoint creating a new respawn point for the match if you're able to get your robot to push the barricade all the way to the end of the map into the enemy's team side then you uh win automatically whoever pushes the their barricade deeper into the opponent's uh territory at the end of the time wins so whoever gets it further deeper deeper into enemy territory wins it's kind of like um a a way of tug of war where you're you're basically trying to get the barricade further and further along when you lose uh control of the actual robot who's pushing the barricade the robot will run back to the middle of the map now when he's running forward he'll run forward quicker to where the barricade is uh to help make sure that he's not losing or you're not losing too much time if you happen to wipe the other team and gain control of him uh with that in mind you're also going to run into a lot of problems where the other team can use the the way the map is designed to flank you to help prevent you from being able to push that barricade forward the barricade always stays in place unless it's being pushed so it will never 
never move backward, but the robot itself will. And I really like the idea of creating this so that you're, you're making progress and you don't lose that progress unless you lose control of the actual robot. Uh, whereas with like an escort to a payload, one person can sneak off and push the payload if the map uh, fights start taking place somewhere else. I really like it. It was really fun to play when I got a chance to do that. But I think the thing that the most, uh, I think thing the most of us wanted out of a, a second Overwatcher or an addition to Overwatch is story mode. And that's something that is definitely coming with Overwatch 2. You're going to be uncovering a lot more story and a lot more cinematics with this mode. And the way it's going to work is you will be paired up with three other people and you can decide uh, what characters you want to take into there. But the way that the story mission works is you will start out the story mission and then slowly progress through a narrative to the end of the mission. As you're going along, there are going to be certain checkpoints that when you get there, you'll see there are different item augmentations. One of them being, uh, like for example, when I played it, I was playing as Reinhardt and there was a barrier that I could pick up that would be a large circular barrier that goes around that protects us beyond just my shield. And I could use that uh, once and then it would go down on cooldown. And the further we progressed into the story, there, the more opportunities for these to pop up were that would actually upgrade the, the actual item that I was holding. And on top of that, they actually had a talent system. This talent system would actually augment some of my abilities. So the first one that I had, I had the option of causing my uh, slam to cause an eruption. So uh, like a secondary explosion. Or I could choose to go the other route where as soon as I hit something with my hammer, any every consecutive hit after that would be on a faster swing timer and they did things like uh, this with like tracer they talked about how tracer when she uses an ability uh, the ability will actually reload her entire magazine clip so that if you're timing it right you'll never run out of ammo or you could augment your pulse bomb things like that to give players a little more sense of customization in kind of a way that say like a slay the spire gives you the opportunity to change your different cards and augment them to make them stronger or different in how they interact when you're playing through the mission. The look of the game is going to be different. It looks a lot cleaner. They've gone in and put a lot of work into the facial animation, the actual design, but still maintaining some of that silhouette that you recognize the heroes for uh, when you're actually playing. The first thing that I noticed with this game was that it definitely looks like Overwatch, but it looks like a a better overwatch in general and originally i had thought that this was going to be in a new engine that they were able to use to be able to expand out hero missions and story missions uh in in the in the pvp side as well too they've actually said and clarified that this is still the same engine but it's a highly upgraded engine uh so one of the things that they wanted to talk about with redefining their sequel dealt around what does it mean if um, if you are 
in Overwatch 1 and you want to pick up Overwatch 2. A lot of us have spent a lot of time grinding out loot boxes or purchasing loot boxes and getting event skins and things like that. And all the heroes that we have in Overwatch 1 are going to be in Overwatch 2. So what happens to those skins? And they have confirmed that all of your skins are going to be moving forward as well too. It really does sound like they're trying to, trying to make it so that this, while still a sequel, and a game as a service is still catering to the the uh, the the goodwill of making sure that everyone that was playing the game before is still rewarded for their time in uh, in in. in influence in getting what skins they want or not influence but uh dedication to, to playing the game and supporting the supporting the game's development um i love that they're doing this uh the time that i spent playing the story mission it was really fun it felt very much like gears of war when i was playing through that uh you have a point and you're kind of moving forward through the story uh there's big story elements that take you out of the actual gameplay so that you can transition from one area to another without having any kind of load screens and the team that i was on uh i was playing as reinhardt and then we had a may a lucio and a uh um tracer and the the stories are going to be pretty set so there's only going to be a certain number of heroes that you can play from because if you're say taking on null sector and you're destroying a bunch of robots but you are picking uh reaper who's aligned with talon and that doesn't necessarily uh, fit into his story then that doesn't seem to make much sense as to to kind or to go with the actual story so some heroes will be involved with some stories and uh they want to make sure that allegiances to talon or to overwatch or to null sector those are respected in regards to story because that's what it is they're telling a story it's not necessarily a pve mode for people who just want to play pve uh overwatch now I didn't get a chance to really dig into any of the hero mission stuff because I didn't see that they had any demos of that. All they had was the demo for the PvE uh, story campaign for Rio de Janeiro, which was fun, and then the push mode for PvP. And both were both were basically Overwatch. Just it looked a lot better. The UI was really clean. I liked it. Uh, the the story sound, all that stuff, still felt really really good. And it just felt like a natural step up from where we are with Overwatch. Now, some people are wondering what does this mean for Overwatch right now as they're starting to work on Overwatch 2. Well, if, if you're wondering that, then I'm sorry to say it doesn't seem like they're going to be doing anything for it. Uh, they, they've, uh, we've heard that they're not making any more heroes other than Sigma. Uh, there's no new maps coming. There's no new modes coming. There's no new archive missions coming. It's going to be kind of on a, a stagnant path while they continue to work on Overwatch 2. And one of the things that they asked in the What's Next panel was just that they wanted people to be patient uh, because they wanted to make sure that this was a fun game. And it looks like they've got a ton of stuff coming. They've got five or six different maps from what I could tell that, they were, that they're working on right now that are going to be coming to Overwatch 1 as well as two new heroes, neither of which they wanted to talk about. And overall, it just feels like a natural step. I love it. I think that they're they're doing a good job 
I would say that this is probably going to be coming out sometime 2020 as they did confirm that it will be coming to PC, Switch, PS4, and Xbox One. They didn't comment on uh, the, the next generation of consoles because honestly it's too early for them to probably know if that's going to be something that happens. But if this were to come out, say, in fall or late summer of uh, 2020, that it would not surprise me for them to have a way to get this onto the new systems um, because I, I'm willing to bet that the net, that Xbox Scarlet and PS5 are backwards compatible. They've already confirmed that for the PS5. I would imagine that Xbox One having a large list of their uh, back catalog available um, through through their systems will help kind of move forward into Xbox Scarlet as they've already confirmed the peripherals for the Xbox Scarlet or Xbox One will work on Xbox Scarlet. So overall, if you're concerned about these games coming out in 2020 uh, or Overwatch coming out in 2020, and you're not sure if you want to pick it up because uh, of, of the next generation of consoles, I imagine you'll still be able to play it. They're going to be developing heavy, heavily for it, but they don't want to leave this generation behind as we move into the next generation. So I think it's going to be up to the console manufacturers to make sure that those games are still working properly on their next gen uh, as they continue to, to develop for this current generation of consoles. Overall, I was pretty happy with everything. Uh, the the esports side of it i didn't focus on much this year because hgc was canceled last year uh i'm I, i'm interested in the mdi as well as the um overwatch stuff uh i missed out on the starcraft 2 championship because that was what i really wanted to watch and i went back and i watched those uh vods through the virtual ticket and if you guys are fans of uh, Warcraft, right now is the 15th year anniversary of World of Warcraft. They have an event right now where you can go to the Caverns of Time and talk to Chromie. And she will set you on a path to go and do three portions of three bosses from three different expansions. So nine bosses total. And what that gets you is the Deathwing mount uh, so if you're playing battle for azeroth make sure you jump in and actually get a chance to get that log in get your token for additional reputation as well as your uh your, your black drake nether whelp pet and just enjoy the, the the amount of games that we're getting i'm really looking forward to that i didn't spend any time on uh starcraft 2 but they are getting manxed as the co-op commander uh hearthstone had big announcements regarding um a a kind of auto chess based game uh for for their next dragon expansion um and they they went through their their different cards and whatnot i don't play Hearthstone really because I'm, I'm terrible at building decks uh, which is why I don't play Slay the Spire all that much even though I like the concept of it um, I'm just not good at being able to, to work out like how I should be doing stuff or what I should pick or how I should plan each thing kind of goes back to that whole idea of being bad at turn-based games and focusing more on action-based games um, BlizzCon overall for me was amazing I absolutely loved it I got to spend all the time that I wanted with all of my buddies at Blizzard and all of my friends that are fans of the games, 
Um, I, I don't think there was anything that I felt like I missed out on that I couldn't just dive back into with the virtual ticket. And I'm looking forward to the next two years of Blizzard because uh, Diablo 4 is going to be excellent. Uh, the WoW uh, World of Warcraft Shadowlands it looks like it could be very promising if they're able to deliver on what they've talked about this. They have a history of not necessarily hitting all those, unfortunately. Uh, and then with Overwatch 2, I, I love playing in Overwatch. I'm terrible at it, which is why I generally pick up supports uh, or big tanks and go for that. And I think Overwatch 2 is going to be a big hit. They needed something to get out of that that rut um, out from underneath all of the other other games that have come out since then that are shooters that have really capitalized on some of the fun aspects of games like Overwatch and stuff. So I think it's weird that they didn't come out with um, with, with this news a little bit sooner based around that but i understand they're still fairly early on uh i think they could have probably have teased us a little bit and and gotten people a little more excited about what is actually coming instead of holding on to it for so long that it was hard to kind of grasp that but at the same time blizzcon's one of those things where this is where they kind of announce all of their stuff this is their big moment to celebrate with the fans of the games and it, that that's pretty much it. Um, I'm not going to talk on any of the any of the the stuff regarding the protests and whatnot because honestly, there were people out there who were um, silently supporting uh, uh, Hong Kong, and they they did their part. I think I walked by one guy who was like talking about how he was actually feeling pretty comfortable as a guy in a poo suit uh, or a, a poo Winnie the Pooh. Uh, suit and and it kind of made me question like in the back of my mind as I was walking by I heard this guy say that I was like man really that's the reason you're like you're personally uncomfortable with wearing a Winnie the Pooh costume in an effort to uh, protest uh, Blizzard to help support uh, Blitz Blitzkrang and 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 freeing Hong Kong from government. Uh, uh, I'm not going to get into it. I, I really try hard not to get into that. But I think that some people went there under the assumption that they could be meme worthy while others were legitimately trying to help grow support for the, the, the issues that are going on over in China. I saw a few people that actually had very low key uh, T-shirts that the whole goal of it was just to offer information through websites like www.freehongkong.org uh, so that people could actually put in their, their, their weight if that's what they want to choose to do. While I felt like a lot of people we're just kind of jumping on the meme train and trying to get, you know, trying to get noticed or trying to get, um, um, you know, they thought they were doing something that was having some sort of impact where I'm pretty sure 90% of the people that went to BlizzCon are fully aware of all the PR mishaps that happened with Blizzard. And they came out at the beginning of the open air, opening ceremony and stated as such that they did make mishaps, but they're sticking to their guns as far as the decisions that they made. They just want to make sure that they are better at analyzing future situations and responding quicker to feedback uh, regarding that so that if people are upset about something that they don't wait as long as they did, um, but they aren't as quick to make the decisions as they did earlier. So I'm hoping that people who are using their platform use 
their platform as opposed to other companies' platforms because it's a it's a lose lose scenario for everyone. You're you're breaking a contract, but you want to stand out and do something noble, which is understandable. You're always you're you're already famous in your in your group, so it's easy to start up Twitch and start making uh, your own your your own content on YouTube as well. Um, there's lots of ways that you can get your message out there if you have a following. And I, I urge everyone that has the right to, to free speech to do that, uh, that I'm exercising mine right now. Um, I support the idea of freeing Hong Kong from any kind of tyrannical uh, um, handlings that are going on over there. But at the same time, I'm not going to expect a company to, to do that, I'm, I'm going to expect my government to do that, and I'm going to use my government or my influence to uh, to tell my government that I want them to do something about that, as opposed to telling a company who's just trying to make video games to do that for me, because that's not what their shareholders are trying to do. That was the that's about. I've been holding on to that for a long time. So, if if you're listening to this and you're like, oh god, I didn't want to hear about politics. This is this is it. This is all you're gonna get out of me. Uh, I don't like talking about this stuff on on podcasts. It's not something I ever wanted to to have to worry about. I would much rather just be talking about games because honestly, that's what I'm here for. I'm here for the games. I I've got way bigger beefs with other things besides what's going on in in, in the world to have to, to like my my money and influence only goes so far. So I just want to make sure that. I'm making something that's entertaining for you because I had a good time and I like sharing that news with you. And I love hearing your feedback. Um, with that, bear in mind that everything that you've heard today is uh, coming from my perspective. So if you don't necessarily agree, I respect your disagreement. Uh, but just bear in mind that it's your perspective and my perspective and i love that you have your perspective so if you'd like to share your thoughts on how you saw e3 or not e3 blizzcon um feel free to do so there's tons of ways you can get a hold of me there's tons of ways you can reach out to me uh you can always reach me on twitter at c-a-p-t underscore l-o-g-u-n or at keelhauled pod uh, you can always send me an email at c-a-p-t-l-o-g-u-n at gmail.com. I got one uh, today regarding the Keelhauled episode that I just put out uh, two days ago that I want to talk about for the next episode on Sunday. Uh, if you want to join the community, I have a great Discord server. They're constantly playing Sea of Thieves uh, as well as talking about other games and real life and stuff. The links are always in the show notes. And if you want to support the Keelhauled uh, uh, podcast, there's always ways to do that. I've got merchandise available now that you can pick up and represent the way I represented at BlizzCon uh, to any of the future conventions or things that are going on in your day-to-day -day life. Pirates, thank you. I hope that you enjoyed this Shore Leave episode, and I hope that you liked the information that came from it. And with that, that's going to do it. Pirates, thank you. I love you. And I look forward to sailing with you on the Sea of Thieves. Ah, where's that drink of mine? Mm. Ah, that's good. Ah, it's tasty. Ah.